This week I read about Francis of Assisi. If you don't know who he is, he was an amazing preacher of the 12th century. He boldly proclaimed the gospel. He sought to end the crusades that were so bloody. Just an amazing man. And he wrote and prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. That is our calling, is to be instruments of God's peace. That we should share God's love with other people. But if we're really honest with ourselves, in order for us to share things like peace and hope and joy, we have to first have peace, hope, and joy. You can't share what you don't have. And so if we're to share God's love and to display His glory, then we have to be living in a way that has been transformed by the renewal of our minds. We must be living a life that has been transformed by the Spirit as we walk closely with Jesus following his word, then when we're living in such a way that we're exhibiting love and joy and peace and hope, then people will see it and they will see a glimpse of how great our God is. And when they do that, when people see, when they see that our lives are truly different, then they'll believe our message. Then they will believe that God the Father sent Jesus to die in our place, to be resurrected, and to offer us hope, to offer us forgiveness and true lasting joy. But we must be living it out in order for the world to believe that our message is true. And so in order for us to live transformed lives for God's glory, we've been taking a journey through the Psalms this summer. We have been looking at a series called Uplifted. The series is focused on having our emotions transformed, not just our behavior, but deeper than that, having transformed emotions. See, all of us have feelings. All of us have emotions. God made us that way, and by God's design, our feelings, our emotions move us, and God designed them so that we would be moved to further reflect His glory. The problem is sin and the corruption that comes with it, And so a lot of times our emotions are not transformed. Our emotions do not reflect God's glory. And so therefore our message does not resound when we're being on mission. And so the goal of this series over the summer going through various psalms has been that we will have our souls be truly uplifted as we have our emotions further conformed to the image of Christ. And so today as we consider another emotion We're talking about sadness today. I know it's not a very happy topic, but it's a reality in our fallen world. We're talking about things like sadness and even things like depression. And we'll be looking at that from Psalm 42. And as we consider these topics revealed in God's Word, as you find Psalm 42, let's look at the header, which gives us information on the historical context of this psalm. The header says that it's, to the choir master, a masculine of sons of Korah. First, choir master. When you read that, that tells you that this psalm was, it's a poem, it's a song, 
was sung in public worship gatherings, much like this, except it wasn't in a zoo, it was in the temple. And so when God's people got together to worship God at the temple, they would sing his praises. And so this song was one of those that was sung. Now it says that it's a masculine that refers to the word instruction. And so this psalm was used for teaching. It was a psalm that was used to give counsel from God to his people. And so this is God's word revealed to us for our benefit, for us to be instructed on how to follow him. And then the last phrase there says, sons of Korah. If you look in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 9, it reveals that the sons of Korah, these Korahites, what they did is they performed music. So they were the songwriters, and they were the ones that would lead in worship. So the ancient Chris Tomlins and Matt Redmonds, so to speak, of the world, not that they had big recording albums or anything like that, but they were the worship leaders. And so the person that wrote this psalm was someone who was a spiritual leader who would lead the people of God to sing songs and to praise God together. So he was a worship leader, and that's who wrote this psalm. So now let's read what God's Spirit revealed, what he inspired this psalmist to write. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. I, I pray to God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist was going through a season of deep sorrow and sadness. And as I read this, even beyond sadness, this psalmist is depressed. Now, it's important for us to make a distinction between being sad and being depressed, because there is a difference. And so being sad is a feeling, a human emotion, that we feel down when something happens, something that's sorrowful or something that is disappointing, when something that's undesired happens, we oftentimes respond with this feeling down we call being sad. But it's not the same as being depressed. Depressed is much more severe. 
depressed is more long-term, and it's more ongoing, and it's much more complex than sadness, because sadness is one emotion. Whereas, when you're talking about depression, it can be a mixture of many different emotions. It includes sadness and grief, and a lot of times, those lead to depression. But, but depression is not just sadness and grief. It also includes anxiety. It also includes feeling empty or hopeless, or many times even feeling worthless. So depression is far more severe. What you see here in Psalm 42, this is not just your ordinary sadness, like, oh, I'm sad because on my birthday, my mom forgot to call me. I'm sad now. Or I'm, I'm sad because I wasn't able to go on that holiday that I was hoping to go on. Or I'm sad because my team lost in the World Cup. All right, there's that kind of sadness, but what you see here in Psalm 42 is not just that level of feeling down. This is profound. This is truly deep sadness down to his soul that's not just passing. It's not just running its course. This is depression. And all of us on some level can struggle with feeling sad or a profound sadness or even struggling with depression. And so I approach this psalm and I approach this topic, which is described in God's word, with a heart that desires to have compassion and grace because this is a very complex topic and one that affects many, many people. And I know many of you that are in this room. And so what we're talking about this morning from God's Word is overcoming depression, overcoming sadness. But here's the key. It's a satisfied heart. Having a satisfied heart is the key to overcoming sadness. So let me give you the main idea from this psalm that we just read that we'll look at in more detail. But here in the beginning, as, as we go into this, Psalm 42, the main truth revealed here is that as God's people, we must hope in our God when faced with depressing circumstances. Because all of us are going to face depressing circumstances. But as the people of God, we must hope in our God when we're faced with depressing circumstances. So no matter how sad you are today, whether it's, whether it's almost nothing or whether your sadness is really profound today, or that there's disappointment that is just overcoming you today. Wherever you are, I can assure you that there is hope. There absolutely is. And there's hope because our God is alive and well, and hope is found in God. And so we'll, we'll see what this looks like as we look at this psalm. And so this beautiful Psalm 42 gives us the process that God was so gracious to us to give us this scripture that allows us to see the process of how he helps us to overcome deep sadness or even depression. And so let's look at these. And the first stanza describes how we can understand the causes of depression. So number one, we're talking about understanding the causes of depression. So what causes depression? God's word reveals this to us. Now this is where it gets complex. A little bit complicated because there's no one single cause of depression. There's not just one because what makes one person depressed might not affect someone else the same way. And so what makes you depressed might have little impact on me because we're different people.
people, different experiences, even different DNA. And so there's not any one singular cause for depression. And how one person feels about depression could be very different from the next person. But this scripture does help us. And what I would ask you today is if you're a person that either in the past or currently or has some sort of a struggle that's very real with depression, I would encourage you to honestly ask God to show you your heart, to help you identify what it is that that triggers, that, that causes you to feel really down or to feel depressed. But as we examine ourselves, because this takes an honest evaluation, as we'll see here in a minute, I, I ask you to ask God to show you, if you're, if you're too even confused to even understand yourself, ask Spirit to reveal to you, what, what are the causes deep inside that trigger me to feel really down or depressed? I'll say this, sometimes we know. I believe sometimes deep inside we do know what is causing us to feel really down or to feel depressed. But oftentimes we're too ashamed to admit it, even to ourselves. We don't want to confess it to God, much less to someone else. And so we oftentimes need an honest evaluation. Be very honest with ourselves and before God on what is it that causes me to feel down. So as we answer the question on what, is, what are the causes of depression, I'll give you a very broad answer. The specifics you have to define for yourself as God shows you in your life. But here's the broad answer for what causes depression is unique, difficult circumstances. And so this is unique to you. So your own unique, difficult circumstances are what can trigger depression. And we see this in Psalm 42. So as we begin looking at this, he begins saying, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want you to picture a beautiful setting in the woods, calm, birds chirping in the background, sun glimmering through the leaves. And, and there's this beautiful, graceful doe, this deer, and she's just leaning over into a, a stream that is flowing, crystal clear, cool water. And there's this deer just taking a drink. To me, that is the picture of something that's serene, right? That's like tranquility. Like I, I, I could just lay in bed and just have the sounds playing of flowing water and birds chirping. And it's like, oh, it's so peaceful. Beautiful picture of this deer just drinking from a flowing stream. And so this psalmist is realizing this is what he desires. His heart desires peace and desires God and wants to be full, wants his soul to be satisfied. But the reality is that there's no peace in his life. There's no tranquility. His soul is dry. He's completely parched. And it's like he's walking in the Abu Dhabi desert and there's no streams anywhere. There's only heat and more sand, more desert. Like driving out to Liwa, right? More desert, no stream. And that's his soul, dry and parched. And he's saying, God, I'm so thirsty for you, and I'm just not sensing your presence. 
God seems so far away from him. Because he says in verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? When? When am I going to finally be close to God, appear before him? When am I going to experience closeness again? I'm in such a dry place. This is so hard. He feels alone and far from God and thirsty and there's no water around. He's experiencing his own very unique, difficult circumstances. And verse 6 in this psalm gives us a picture as to what his are. It's very helpful. He says in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me. So there he's depressed. He's down. His soul is down within him. Therefore, I remember you. Here's the key. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mizar. So he says that his soul is downcast. He's struggling with this deep depression. Why? He says that he is in the land of Jordan and of Hermon and this other mount that we don't know what it is. But so apparently, it doesn't give us specifics, but apparently he's living beyond the borders of Jerusalem, of Israel. He is in the land of Jordan, which was northeast of Jerusalem, beyond the Jordan, so beyond the Jordan River, beyond the borders of his home country. So he's in a foreign land. And you see here, Mount Hermon, which was the same mountain range northeast of Israel, and this Mount Mizar, we don't know exactly what that is, but the word Mizar means little mountain in the original Hebrew language, and so it appears to have been some sort of a lesser peak in the, in the greater Hermon mountain range. And so what we, we can kind of deduce from what he's saying is that he's no longer in Jerusalem. He's no longer with his people. He's, he's beyond the borders. And how did he get there? We don't know exactly where he is, and we don't know how he got there. Was he a hostage? Was he exiled? He doesn't say how he got there or why he's beyond the borders, but he does seem to indicate that this is a source of pain for him and part of what's triggering this depression. And you see in verses 2 and 3, yet again, he says that he thirsts for God. When shall I appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So he's feeling alone. He's far from the temple. But as much as he was geographically, you know, physically far from Jerusalem, from what I'm reading here, is spiritually he felt even further away from God. Felt so alone and not experiencing God's presence. And so spiritually he's far from God. But he longs God. But all he sees in front of him is just depression. He's lost his appetite. Verse 3, he can't even eat. He says, day and night, my tears are my food. He's not even eating anymore. He, he's just eating his tears. Day and night, he's not even sleeping well. Signs of depression is loss of appetite and, and loss of sleep. And you're seeing this even with this psalmist. And the worst part is that no one around him shares his faith. He says, all day long, those around him mock him and say, all day long, where is your God? And so these pagans, apparently where he's living, don't follow the one true God, and they're taunting him, and they're saying, look, your God won't fix your circumstances. 
Look, your God's not changing your problems, and here you are depressed. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. You're a mess, and your God's a mess, and there is no God, and what? You don't even matter. And, and he's believing these lies, but he's fighting against them. But this is what he's being tormented with, with, with the enemy who's oppressing him. And the hardest part for him is that as these enemies are saying, where is your God? He finds himself struggling with, well, I don't know where my God is. When will I appear before God again? This is hard. And so these difficult circumstances that are unique to him have put him in a position where he is truly sad, very profound. And all of us can go through very unique, difficult situations that can trigger in us feeling down and far from God. But what does he do? Verse 4, very helpful. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go out with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. This is so helpful. It helps us understand what he was going through. He's remembering He's remembering when he used to live in Jerusalem, when, when he used to help. It says the throngs, all the multitudes. He says keeping festival. Three times a year, they would have these major festivals, and Jerusalem would be inundated with thousands of people, if not even more than that, maybe even millions. We don't know, but Jerusalem was full of multitudes of people that would go for these three annual festivals. And he was one of the leaders that would help lead them to the temple as they're singing along the way. And then when, when they would arrive at the temple, he would lead them to sing praises to God. He's remembering the joy of the good old days, of how things used to be in his life. But those days are gone. They're gone. And all he has left are memories and memories that are actually haunting him. And he mentions the festivals, which is, which is important because that was their holidays. That's when they would feast and everyone would get together and families would come visit and everyone was enjoying the festivities together. The holidays are a major source of depression in the ancient world as much as it is today. And living here is even weirder. Like, I'll never forget my first Christmas, almost two years ago now. Man, I was really struggling that first Christmas here. It was six months in of having moved here, and I, I was struggling with some depression. I just, I just couldn't kind of get out of that funk. I was so down. Everywhere I would go, there was no Christmas lights, and it just wasn't Christmas in Abu Dhabi. And I was really missing home. And I thought, God... Are you sure I was supposed to come to Abu Dhabi? There's no Christmas here. And yet, of course, and I would pray, the, the sense was, of course, my son, I brought you here. And what really helped me to get over this depression the first month of, of December that I was here was Christmas Eve when we got together as a faith family and we sung for Jesus. And I saw my family, which many of you in this room were there that night. And that by God's grace, help to lift this. But the reality is that the holidays can be hard living here because you're depressed because maybe you can't go home, but then maybe you go home and that's also depressing. Like, that's equally frustrating. And so living here is just this 
unique expatriate experience. But the holidays can be difficult. Feeling alone, people that are ridiculing you can be difficult. And so what we experience today in the 21st century that causes depression is the same thing that was causing depression for this man who loved God. Memories of the way things used to be, living far from home, people being very difficult in his life, the enemy attacking him. The holidays, remembering the festivals, the same things that can happen to us. The same things of difficulties with people and the list goes on that can trigger depression is what he was going through. But when we face it, because all of us will on some level or another, when, when we face this, we must follow the example of the psalmist in verse 5. As his understanding, again, I was reeling to his understanding your depression. And so he says in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He's talking to himself. He's not listening to himself. Don't do that. Don't listen to yourself. Because you listen to yourself, you're probably going to hear condemnation. Look at you. Look at you depressed. Look at you, you're worthless. Look at you, you're not a good Christian. Look at you, and on and on and on. But don't listen to those voices Talk to yourself. Like he's asking himself, what's wrong with me? He's, what he's doing here is making an honest evaluation. He's just examining. All right, what's going on inside of me? Why do I feel this way? What are the circumstances that are causing me to feel like this? Because I want to lead my heart, not follow it. Our world lies to us. And it says, follow your heart. That's rubbish. Don't follow your heart. Don't do that. Your heart is evil and corrupted. So is mine. That's why Jesus came to give us new ones. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart from God's word as you're following Jesus. You follow him and your heart will follow. So we need to have emotions that are transformed. Don't just let emotions just happen. We have to have self-control. And it begins here with understanding what's going on. Why am I feeling this way? What are my triggers? What is it? And evaluate and ask God to help you identify what are your own unique difficult circumstances that can lead you towards depression. Identify them. It's honestly praying and asking God to help you. Be honest and then confess that to God. But secondly, we want to talk about understanding the experience of depression. So first, he wants to understand the causes of depression. But the second, the psalm here reveals to us understanding the experience. So what we feel when we're depressed. So what does it feel like to be depressed? It's really complicated. It's not easy. In a room this size, talking about this, is, it almost does an injustice because it's so personal. It can be different for all of us. And so if you've ever had a sense of depression, and then you talk to someone else and say, I'm depressed, you must not assume that you know what they mean when they say depressed. You cannot assume that. Because someone else's experience of depression can be very different from your experience of it. So we need to be patient and understanding and have, have compassion for one another. Really listen to one another. And truly love and be patient with our faith family, 
But the scriptures do give us some insight here. God's revealing what the experience of depression is that's common to everyone. Maybe yours is specific. Of course it is. But this is the overarching, the umbrella, if you will, term that describes the experience of depression. In verse 7, very helpful for us to understand the experience of depression. Verse 7 says, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This is the image of being lost out at sea, is what the image here is. And so he says, deep calls to deep. He's talking about waves, these deep, these profound waves that are, are hitting him. And then it's like the waves are calling, hey, wave, come over here, let's hit him again. And it's like the waves are calling to each other. It's like wave after wave after wave is crashing on him as he's lost out in the open water in the ocean. And so he's being hit, it's like repeatedly these waves of, of depression all over him. And so depression is it feels like drowning. Depression feels like you're drowning. That's the image here. Depression is, is like feeling submerged in, in this deep and black abyss where the depths of, of despair, of sadness kind of engulf you. This dark place where even breathing is difficult. And if you ever talk to someone that's depressed, it's not easy to breathe. Even just getting out of bed is not easy. It's hard. And you just want to curl up in a ball and just stay under the, the blankets and just lay there. The psalmist here, what he desired so much in the first verse was cool streams of water that would refresh his soul and be satisfied. But he doesn't have a cool stream. He is in chaotic waters where he's submerged in this chaotic sea where he can't tell up from down. And they threaten to crush his soul and to drown him. And so he's describing here in verse 7 just being overwhelmed by sadness and being in turmoil. Verses 8 and 9 give us more insight to what he's experiencing. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Listen to what he says here. This is, this is helpful. You, you have the enemy here that's oppressing him. So he says that the enemy is relentless, the, the oppression of the enemy. And so you have our ultimate enemy, Satan, that wants to oppress us and tempt us to doubt that God is good and to doubt that God loves you, to doubt that God has a plan for you, and, and to forget that Jesus died for you. And so the enemy wants to oppress us. He's relentless. What, what this text is describing for us is that depression, how was it experienced? I'll give you the answer. Physically and spiritually. Depression is experienced both physically and spiritually. How do I know that? Well, because we are a body-soul unit. That's what we are. That, that's how God has designed us to be. And so what you see here is very physical reality to what he's experiencing. 
And so he's experiencing pain. He's talking about being in, in turmoil and how it's, it's affecting literally his body, how he's thirsty. And so when we're talking about depression and, and you talk to people that are depressed, even though they all feel it differently, the common thread across everyone's ever had depression is that everyone experiences pain. Deep in their soul, but even physical ailments can come from feeling depressed. Loss of appetite, like we saw earlier in the psalm. Loss of sleep, we saw that also in the psalm. These are very typical elements of this. Now, this is kind of a side conversation, but I wanted to talk about it briefly here, is because depression is a physical thing. It is. It's important for us to remember that we have physical bodies, and that is a good thing. That's not bad or evil. And the Holy Spirit indwells believers in our bodies. And so your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as an act of stewardship, an act of worship, we must care for our bodies. And so if all you eat is junk food and you don't get enough sleep, and if you never exercise, that's not pleasing to Jesus. It's an act of stewardship to care for your body. Now, I'm not saying that you should get obsessed and try to look like the magazine cover women or guys, because honestly, even they don't look like that, all right? They're photoshopped. And so don't be obsessed with the appearances that you see in the media. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about pleasing God with having a body that is healthy, because a lot of people that have depression, part of this, this whole complex reality is Things that you eat, because your cells are always replenishing. So in a very real way, physically, you are what you eat. And so what you're putting into your body matters. As an act of stewardship, we should care for the temple of the Holy Spirit. You'll feel better, and I can assure you, it's pleasing to God. It's physical. And so there are physical realities to this. But it's also deeply spiritual. It's very spiritual. Because you even see it here in verse 8. He says that he's praying. He says, I, God, I know you love me in verse 8. He's like, I'm praying to you, God, in verse 8. So he, he believes. He knows, okay, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm honestly trying to focus on you, God. But he says, oh, but you've forgotten me. In verse 9. He feels alone. He feels like even prayer is not working. He was like, man, I'm praying. Honestly, I feel like I'm trying, and I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like, God, I don't even know where you are anymore. Have you ever felt that way? Oftentimes, when people are depressed, it it can really seem like God is just not listening. Like you see here in the psalmist, he's praying, and God, why have you forgotten me? He's in the same breath. He's praying. He's asking, God, why have you forgotten me? What you see here is real honesty. I love the psalm because it shows honesty. This psalmist is being very real with God. He's saying, God, I feel like you forgot me. I'm praying. I'm I'm trying to follow you. And God, it just feels like you're just not there and like you've forgotten me. If you want to really overcome this, you have to be honest with yourself and with God, be honest about your disappointments, about your pain. No hiding. No minimizing. It won't work. You won't overcome this that way. 
And so there's physical realities, but there's also the spiritual, like we're seeing here, like feeling alone and feeling forgotten and, and doubting God that he's good and struggling with faith. This is, there are spiritual realities also to feeling depressed. The problem with depression, this is what's so bad with depression, is that it's contagious. Depressing or depressed people are depressing, aren't they? Yes, they are. If you have a friend that's really depressed, you like hanging around that person? Do you just think, oh, I want to call my depressed friend because it's going to be a great time going to Ikea. We'll just walk around. Kids can go play in small land. And it's, it's just going to be so wonderful to hang with my depressed friends today. No one says that. We avoid them. You put call block on your mobile. No, we shouldn't do that. There's a temptation. Satan puts it in our minds to want to do that, but we should not do that. But here's the reality in our human condition. Depression is contagious. And so those that are depressed tend to be alone. They tend to lose their friends. Even their family can turn their backs on them. People that are depressed, it, it can be very difficult because they tend to be isolated. It's not healthy. It's not God's design. But we are describing here on understanding the experience. And the psalmist is, by God's goodness, revealing to us what this feels like. But praise be to God that he doesn't end right there. He doesn't end talking about depression is physical and emotional and relational. It affects all of you. Yes, it's describing, understanding it and what it feels like, the experience of it. But praise be to God, he also in this psalm gives us, number three, the remedy. He tells us how to understand the remedy, the solution for depression. Because it's also in the same psalm. The Bible is so real. It tells you the problem, but, and it's honest about it. But then God gives us a solution. He gives us the remedy. And what is a remedy? It's repeated twice in this psalm, in the middle and in the end. Verse 5 and 11, basically the exact same verse repeated. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall sing again, praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him my salvation, and my God. Hope in God. That is the remedy for depression. And it's the only one. Everything else is only going to treat symptoms. Hope in God is the only true remedy revealed in God's word for depression. Where is your hope? I mean that. What are you really hoping in? What do you really hope for? Where is your hope? This is one area that gets, again, very complex and very sensitive. But a lot of people in our world, especially in the West, but across the globe, depression is just treated with psychotropic medications. That's just a very common thing. Someone goes to the psychiatrist and says, I'm depressed, and then within Five minutes are giving you a prescription for medication. Now, psychiatrists don't usually get into doing counseling. Psychologists 
tend to do that. But there are so many people that tend to be on different medications to treat depression. Now, medications can be helpful. I'm not going to say they're not because some people have an actual physical, so a physiological problem, a chemical imbalance, and it's a physical ailment, and the medications can be helpful. So I'm not denying that reality. But at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves that there are a lot of people that they're depending on the medications more than they're depending on God. And if, and if some people that take meds, if they're really honest with themselves, they're just medicating, but they're not addressing the spiritual. And if you're taking medication to treat the symptom, but you are not addressing the spiritual, you will not experience freedom from this. You have to address the spiritual. So I'm not saying get off your meds today if you're on them. Pastor's not saying that. What I am saying is, honestly, evaluate. Where is your hope? Are you hoping in the medication? Or are you hoping in God? What do you depend on? It's very important that we understand that the complexity of the spiritual and the physical. We have to address both. You can't address just one. The meds address just the physical. Have to address the spiritual because we're a body, mind, soul unit. So again, I know this is sensitive, but this is something for you to really ponder and pray before your God. And where is your hope? Verse nine again tells us, "Why have you forgotten me?" He's crying out. Hoping in God means rejecting Satan's lies, choosing to believe the truth and to not believe the lies. God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. How do I know he's not forgotten you? You know how I know? Because 2,000 years ago, the God-man, Jesus, hung on a cross for you. That's how I know. With full authority on the word of God, no authority of my own, I can tell you with 100% assurance, God has not forgotten you, and he will never forget you because he loves you, and I know he loves you because Jesus died for you. And God demonstrates his love for us in this while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. He proves his love for you with the cross, and so you fight against the lies. You replace the lies with the truth of the gospel. Every single day, you choose to believe that Jesus is greater, that he is more powerful, that he is able, that he's more satisfying, that you can. You fight on your knees, and you fight for joy. You fight for it. Don't give in. Don't believe the lies. The remedy is hoping in God. And some people get depressed, if we're honest, because they have a habitual pattern of sin in their lives. We'll address this next week. Our brother Dave Bickerton will be preaching out of Psalm 32, a psalm of confession. A psalm of how a lot of times we are down because we feel guilty. And the response isn't medication. The response should be repentance. And if we repent from that sin, turn away from that sin, and enjoy Jesus, the depression will lift. I've talked to so many people 
that they're depressed, but you talk to them, you talk to them, and you discover the habitual patterns, the addictions, and they begin to get it to Jesus. And it's amazing how the depression begins to lift because they're no longer feeling guilty because they know Jesus died for them, and they're living lives of consistency, not perfection, but a holy direction. And so depression is like a stain on your soul. It's, but it's one of those stains in your carpet, you know the ones, right, where you, where you get your vacuum and you're vacuuming and the stain won't go away, so you vacuum a little bit harder. It's like, oh, it's not going away. Well, vacuuming won't take out that stain. You have to get a brush and some water and some detergent and get on your knees, and you have to scrub that stain to wash it out. You have to scrub this stain on your soul with what? What's a detergent? God's Word. You have to scrub it. This, these, some of these spots in our, in our lives are so difficult that we have to really scrub them. You have to read God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Apply God's Word. And then repeat. Read God's Word. And then meditate on it. And then apply it. And then repeat. Every day. Every day. Every day, fight against those lies. Choose to believe the truth that you're valuable. Jesus died for you. And fight for this joy that's available. And whatever hope you're clinging to, push it away if it's not Jesus. Romans 8, 24-25 says, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. By definition, you hope for what you can't see. Hope, if you can see it, you don't need hope. Do you have something in your life where you think to yourself, I just can't live without it? And maybe it's sinful, and maybe you know that it's bad for you. But if you're honest, you enjoy it. And so you don't want to give it up. And even depression can become a companion where you get so used to being depressed that you, that's what you know and, and you're comfortable with it and, and you, that's just how you've become, who you've become. It's become your identity and it's not. It ought not be. But for some people, it becomes that. And you think to yourself, I just, I can't give this sin up. I, I, can't, I can't because if I do, I'm going to have this void. I'm going to have this hole. There's this thing that fills me, takes up part of my time and energy in my life, and, and if that's gone, then there's going to be a hole. What am I going to do if, if, this, if this, whatever this is, is gone? Here's what you need to know, is that holiness leads to happiness. Holiness is what leads to happiness. And we've been lied. We've been lied to by the devil who tells us that you need this to have a happiness. You, you need this to feel complete. It's a lie. No, you don't. You don't need the depression. You don't need that habitual pattern. What you need is Jesus, and he will fill you. And the more you're walking with him and you're having holiness, the more joy you're going to have. And so I promise you from God's word that holiness leads to happiness. Just trust him for today. I was talking to a couple in our church not long ago that, that they're struggling, and I won't reveal what, but they're struggling, and, and we're trying to identify what we're struggling with. And, and they were just terrified at the thought of how are we going to live life without this? And 
I told him one day at a time. One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't try to picture your whole life without it. Just picture today. And beg God to help you today to overcome this. Just today. And then tomorrow, you do it again. Today, God, I want to have joy in you. Today. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. And maybe for you it's this morning, help me. Or this next hour, help me. And then it can go to this whole morning and then, oh, this whole afternoon and then this whole day. And then before long, over time, you'll notice, whoa, I'm different. It'll happen. If you'll do it God's way. Where you're delighting in him. If you're prone toward suppression, you know the best place for you? Struggling. Struggling against it is glorifying to God. Giving into it is not glorifying. So as we close, I ask you the question, where is your hope? We're told hope in God, God of our salvation. Circumstances for the psalmist didn't change. It doesn't say that. If they did, we don't know. But what was revealed didn't change. So I can't guarantee you different circumstances. But the call is still to hope in our God, our salvation. We have Christ. He died for us and he offers us freedom including from depression. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we praise you for you alone are worthy. You are our healer. Father, we're so desperate for you. We're so thirsty for you. We thank you for the joy of being able to know you, to walk with you, to have freedom from all of these things that would ail us. We desire to have transformed emotions for your glory, Father. Help us to cling to you, to hope in you and nothing else. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love, your provision, how you sustain us, satisfy us, and that we have satisfied souls in you. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.